Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is one of those special episodes for you as a listener. It's one of the very rare circumstances under which I actually do a live episode. And it's because of the nature of the topic today that we're doing just that. Before we get started on today's show, I want you to not lose the forest for the trees. Today's topic is uniquely positioned to do just that, to suck everyone into the vortex, the black hole of pursuing one more evidentiary record, as if one more record is the holy grail of solving the case, the JFK case. And then, What inevitably happens, because all the records have not been released, what inevitably happens is that we devote all our energies to the exercise of disclosure, and it becomes the great deception. I will remind everyone that while it's intellectually fascinating to anyone involved in the assassination research, it is only a means to an end. It should never become the end in and of itself. Look, accumulating all the evidentiary records in one place is important, and then releasing them to assassination researchers is equally important, but it is not the be-all, end-all. Don't get me wrong. Doing just that is, arguably, the last and best tool for our last and best chance to solve the case. But, again, gathering and disclosing the documents to the public is not the end. It is a means to solving the case. Our podcast got started because the history of information on the JFK assassination, if it could be described in one word, it would be confusing. I got started because we needed a source that explained what we knew with clarity and then explained what we didn't know in clarity as well. In the end, success in the eyes of the American people can only be accomplished if we know who and why President Kennedy was assassinated. Anything short of that is like being down six points in a football game, getting to the five-yard line with one play left, and then throwing an incomplete pass, and the game ends. It won't matter how close we got. What will matter is the final score of the game. The Assassination Records Review Board, in its final report published in 1998, sets forth expectations for complete disclosure by the then-established deadline of 2017, a very clear deadline of complete disclosure 25 years later, and no more. Well, 2017 came and passed, and full disclosure has not occurred. In fact, we're some five years after the fact. So the real question is why? And as 2022 has come to a close, and we're now in 2023, almost 60 years past the date of the assassination, what could be so important? What could have such national security implications, for example, that any of these records are being withheld? Our deeper dive today with the experts that are joining me in this conversation We'll try to address some of the issues associated with this conundrum. The JFK Records Act currently includes about 319,000 records in it by at least one tabulation. It's an enormous collection, certainly the largest record collection for a murder case ever assembled in the history of mankind. 
Yet we still don't, to this day, have a clear picture of what exactly happened. According to the government's official count, there's some 16,000 records in some form of redaction that the National Archives six-part reference spreadsheet sets forth. What's in them and how they change our view of the case is really what's at odds here. The CIA is under greatest suspicion. Almost 11,000 of the 16,000 documents that are being withheld are CIA documents. There are all sorts of issues here, though. It's not just that. It's not just whether they are revealing what they have. It's really not clear that that agency and others have actually done a thorough job collecting all the documents that are available to collect. Over the years, the ARRB has been relatively inactive administratively in terms of additional collection tagging and categorization. So to summarize topically, there have been continued withholding of records, deficiencies in tracking, and there are clearly records that are missing. There are unjustified redactions, and as I said, there are records not in the collection at all. So why am I doing this show on this topic? Why are we dealing with this issue now? Well, occasionally the world gets to a pivot point. The work recently that Jefferson Morley and the Mary Farrell Foundation are doing is bringing a great deal of attention to this matter. It's been talked about on all sorts of shows. In fact, just recently, Tucker Carlson brought it up on Fox News. History has taught us that the only movement in getting hold of these records has been a groundswell of public support. A groundswell that ultimately translated into political awareness by the Congress, and finally, political action that was born of political will to do just that. One thing there seems to be a consensus on, no matter whether you think it was a lone gunman or a conspiracy, or you're a Democrat or a Republican or whatever, is that complete release of these records and conclusions based on those records, whatever they may say and wherever they may lead us, well, we all believe that. And we have to go there as a nation. Because to do that is the only way we can continue to do what is morally right in a democracy. A democracy that has sprung out of a republic. Yes, that's right. A republic where power emanates from the people. So, without further ado, let's get started on today's episode. Oh, before I get started, I want to give you an example of a record that was recently disclosed. It's dated December 5th, 1963, just a few weeks after the assassination. The original message was classified as secret. There are two enumerated items on this. I won't get into the details of it, but it says, Pabo reported Sov Khan Jen told him, 30th of November, that Oswald was sent to the USSR and married a Soviet girl under Kubark instructions. Kubark is the cryptonym for the CIA. Now, I don't know exactly what this means, and all of the professional researchers out there will spend a lot of time looking at these records, and I'm sure they'll look at this one. This was one I just randomly pulled up based on its description. There's lots of goodies in these records and lots still more to learn about, or at least to validate what many people in the research community think actually happened related to the assassination. And that, my friends, 
is why this is still so important. There truly is still a chance to better understand what actually happened that day, to more deeply understand it. We may not get to all of the details in all of this some 60 years later, but the bigger questions of how this came about, well, we just might get there. And that's why this still is so important. We have here today two gentlemen that I've gotten a chance to know a little bit over the last year or so as JFK, the Enduring Secret, has become more well-known to those interested in the JFK assassination topic. With me today is Mark Adamczyk. He's a Florida-based lawyer who primarily focuses on corporate and real estate law. Since 2017, Mark has dedicated himself to the JFK Records Act in compliance with that groundbreaking law. Mark wants all citizens, young and old, to understand the importance of this law and how they can do their part to make sure that agencies and government offices are accountable for transparency and declassification of records that have been withheld from the public for decades. Also with me today is Andrew Eiler. He's an Ontario lawyer who has 20 years' experience practicing in the areas of corporate law, litigation, and administrative law. For the last several years, he too has turned his focus onto the JFK Records Act and the decisions of the Trump and Biden administrations to postpone the release of the JFK assassination records. We're going to cover a myriad of topics today, a little bit on the background of the passage of the JFK Records Act, but not much because I don't want to get into too much history of this. There are certainly key parts of the act, particularly sections five, six, and nine, which uh, Andrew and Mark will talk about. And uh, we'll also get into a little bit of the work of the ARRB. And of course, at the end of the day, that whole issue around having a deadline of October 26, 2017 that came and went. And why? And many of the things that went on in the Trump and Biden administrations where we thought for sure those presidents would act and support the idea of complete disclosure, and then they didn't. And part of that is a memo that's now getting much attention in the research community. It's called the Gannon Memo, and uh, we'll talk about that. And then ultimately, hopefully, there'll be enough time to talk about what the next steps are, because in the end, educating you, educating me, educating all of us on just exactly what the technicalities are that we're facing in order to get the rest of these records released, well, there's a role for all of us. And it may be nothing more than expressing to our legislators how important this is. But believe me, it's powerful in this country to do that. But we shouldn't be doing that unless we understand all of the facts, all the evidence objectively as to what is happening. A bit more about the lawsuit that's been recently filed by the Mary Farrell Foundation because of this very issue and the delay. All of these technical elements are important. And uh, that's why I'm doing what I have said before is a very rare live show. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Andrew and Mark, and we'll get started. Welcome, Andrew and Mark. Jeff, thank you for having us. Your podcast is great. Hopefully we can um, 
help you do uh, the next segment on um, on the JFK records and help your uh, listeners understand what's going on uh, today with that uh, with that matter. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Jeff. Uh, I, I'm almost caught up on all of your episodes, which uh, which have been fantastic. I, I've particularly enjoyed all of your uh, your segments on uh, on the Bethesda autopsy and listening to some some original witnesses to uh, to that. You've done a great job so far. Well, thank you, Andrew. And I know that this is a live show. I don't do very many of these, as you all know, and you all are two very special people that we're very lucky to have on this podcast. And I know that the first 11 minutes or so of this was just me and some usual soliloquy before we get into an episode. But before we go any farther, I just want to say that I've gotten a chance to know both of you over the course of the last year or so. And the ability to actually have both of you on at the same time talking about this topic and educating me and the rest of the audience on what is a very complicated area is uh, really a special thing. So I I do want to thank you in advance for that. And I want this to be a conversation, of course, with me talking less, but I am going to say one thing before we get started and I'll let you two take it from here. You know, I was struck, I went back and read the the Records Act, as you all instructed that I probably should before we get going on this. And, you know, there's a lot of pieces in this that I know you guys are going to get to individually, but in its essence, what I found really amazing, one little thing, each assassination record shall be publicly disclosed in full and available in the collection no later than the date that is 25 years after the date of the enactment of this act which was 92. So of course that's 2017, unless the president certifies as required by this act, that continued postponement is made necessary by an identifiable harm to the military defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement, or conduct of foreign relations. And, and it goes on to say, it also must have an identifiable harm that is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interest in disclosure. Now, that's sort of the summary, and there's a lot of detail in the act that goes on to define exactly what that is. But I really found that essence of it to be so compelling without getting into any of the details of the rest of it. And I know that's what you're going to do today. So I'm going to stop talking and let you guys take it over. Uh, The audience has already heard sort of what the content will be today, but as you all know, I'm one to wander when it makes sense to do it. So the floor is yours, gentlemen. Jeff, you um, hit the the key point there, which is in section five of the act, which was the uh, operable section that that Trump and now Biden uh, are dealing with. But it goes back um, much before that there was an obligation of agencies and government offices starting when the uh, the JFK Records uh, Collections Act of 1992 was passed, where all the agencies and government uh, offices were obligated to turn their records over to the archivist and to be reviewed by the Assassination Records Review Board, which was an independent agency and board created by that statute. And that that board did a tremendous amount of work. The problem is they only had four years 
to operate. And they declassified, I think, approximately 5 million pages of assassination records, but they didn't have enough time to get through all of them. And they encountered a, a tremendous amount of, of resistance from agencies such as the CIA, the FBI, Secret Service, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And so the, the language you quoted is very important. And I think we'll probably get to that. I'm sure we'll get to that in this in this episode. But it, really how it, the, the act was supposed to work is the ARRB, the, the, let's just call it the board, uh, was supposed to look at every assassination record, and that's a broad term. Assassination record is anything that could relate to the history of the assassination of President Kennedy, and they would make the board, I should say, would make an independent determination if postponement. And this is a little bit going back. This is in '92, so in '92, you're already 30 years past the assassination, and Congress already said that enough is enough that there is no legitimate reason for postponement of any of these records 30 years later, except in the rarest of circumstances, and except if there was a uh, legitimate reason to continue, not not because of, quote, national security or a vague reason, but there's five specific reasons in Section 6 of the Act where a, an agency could go back to the board and say, look, we have an, a living agent here. We have sources and methods. We have a, a military operation that needs to be protected by the release of these records. The board, in good faith, could say, okay, we'll, we'll recommend a release date when, <clears throat> when that concern no longer exists. That was how it was supposed to work. So you, the, but the problem is the board went out of um, funding and when the, the time, you know, uh, expired for their operation in the uh, late 80, late 1998. And then between then and 2017, there was supposed to be a, 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 a process of periodic review where agencies would go in, 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 in conjunction with the archivist and say, okay, is, is this record ready to be released now? Okay. We'll put it in the national archives and the federal register and, and then it would be made available to the American public so that when 2017 came around, when Trump had to make his decision, there should have been it should have been a non-event, maybe a couple hundred records that could possibly uh, be uh, subject to postponement. That's, of course, what we did not see. Uh, your listeners probably are aware that uh, Trump made a blanket ruling uh, on the eve of the release date. Uh, for another fifteen thousand some odd records to um, to stay in the in the in the secret JFK collection, if you will. Uh, so that that's why you know I got involved because I saw that as a problem. I I, I met Andrew and the two of us are, are lawyers and we've really dissected the uh, the JFK Records Act and we uh, we'd be happy to explain what's happened between. Not only from 1992, I think I kind of covered that, but since uh, we saw the continued postponement decisions from uh, both uh, Presidents Trump and Biden. Well, let me let me ask you, let's back up for just a second. We're almost 60 years past the assassination itself. And uh, as you suggested, uh, the one particular section of the act has five very five or six, whatever they are, very specifically delineated reasons for not disclosing a record. 
when you read, I don't want you to speculate. I, I understand that, you know, we're not here to speculate. We're just, we're here to talk about, you know, the law and how it works. But the, the basic question that most people have, either as a casual sort of JFK researcher or a serious one, is fundamental. It's, you know, what could possibly, after 60 years, meet any of these criteria? Can can you tell us, uh, or maybe in the context of the of the five elements that you know are designated uh, specifically within the act, what is plausible? Again, I realize that's I, I don't want to get into the area of speculation, but I think we could hypothetically talk about facts uh, that might be in the realm. Uh, because look, the government has an obligation to keep the nation safe. The definition we just talked about has uh, a lot to do with safety, although the, the definition is much broader than that. It's sort of a, you know, weigh two things and see which one outweighs the other. But, you know, in the area of national security, which presumably is the biggest issue, maybe not, tell us what legitimately the government could be doing that would uh, be appropriate in this circumstance. Jeff, if I can take a step back in terms of of the purpose of the act tying in to how the the declassification and downgrading of these records is supposed to operate. As Mark has said, Section 5G2D is is the section that both Presidents Trump and Biden um, issued their their memos to postpone the records in 2017, then again in 2018, and uh, and in 2021, and now again in uh, just this last December 15th of 2022. The the key point in Section 5G2D is that a this section applies to each assassination record. When Congress uses the word each, it it's applying that section of the law, actually, as it says, to each record. So Section 5G2D says each assassination record shall be publicly disclosed. And then at the end of that initial part of the section, it also says, as required by this act. So those two um, separate parts of 5G2D really do require any government agency or government official who's charged with the review uh, and downgrading and declassification or postponement of the records to do so on a record-by-record basis, whether that was the ARB, whether that's the president, um, so what we've seen in 2017, 2018, 2021, and now again, um, just last month is that there've been a wholesale postponement of the records without providing a record by record review analysis and decisions. And, and when you look at the way the act is written, particularly in section five that we've just cited, uh, there, there are other parts of the act that tie into that. And the key sections are section six, which we've also just discussed, which 
is the only section in the act that provides criteria for postponement and section nine, which lays out the president's authority um, for postponement after the ARRB has made a final determination. So without taking into consideration six or nine and providing a record by record analysis, there's really no legal basis for the president to provide the postponements en masse that each uh, of President Trump and Biden have done. Okay, so for for the listeners, let's talk about that. The the difference between a postponement in mass and a postponement on a record by record basis. In other words, are you suggesting that if I have one document and I want to withhold that document and it's beyond 2017, I have to write sort of a position paper on that document alone as to why that particular document or the redactions in that particular document are required uh, by the government in some what's known as, I think, declassified manner, because obviously they can't disclose the, the, the secretive nature of what they're trying to withhold, but they have to be able to give some, uh, you know, substantive answer as to why it is appropriate to withhold it. And are you saying that of the 16,000 records that are now on those lists that I've you know previously referred to before we got into the live session, that there isn't an in, that one, there is a requirement that there be an individual discussion about each record and that two, there is no individual articulation for each record that is being withheld. And I think that's why initially both you and Mark brought up section two and section three, the purposes of the act, um, because that's really important for how the rest of the act flows. Um, the whole purpose is to continuously downgrade and declassify all of the information in the records collection until all the records are fully publicly disclosed. And so when you look at what happened um, with there being a block postponement of 16,000 or 18,000 records, because again, the number of records and the basis for the postponement was just done simply stating there's a risk to national security. They have essentially not looked at the criteria that are mandated by section six for those records. And I think later on when we get into the Gannon memo, we'll look at actually what happened with the act and how the Gannon memo has really demolished the, both the purpose of the act and the fundamental, fundamentally important role that <clears throat> section six provides in giving that guidance on a record by record basis. And yes, Jeff, section five and section nine do require an unclassified public published set of reasons for each record to justify the reason under section six for the postponement of each record. And that has not happened. Yeah, and just to, um, like Andrew said, if that had been done, and it, it's called an identification aid, which Section 5 requires, an unclassified written 
explanation in a public disclosed document in the Federal Register as to why a specific record uh, warranted postponement so that the president in 2017 at the latest, I mean, that's the latest, it, it, it should have been done on a year by year basis from when the ARRB uh, ran out of, uh, ran its course so that the president, you know, could could make decisions on certain records based on an ARRB determination so that when 2017 came around, Trump wouldn't be looking at, you know, 15 to 16,000 records. He'd be looking at a, a few hundred and he can make a decision based on the ARRB determination, the, the identification aid, which was a, a template, essentially, that was created by this act. Uh, a, 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 an enumerated reason, as you said, as you said, Jeff, under Section Six, why postponement could be warranted, and then we'd all have the information. It would identify a military operation, uh, military defense, law enforcement, a living agent. Uh, you know, they didn't have to name that specific operation or agent, but it would at least tie back to Section Six, and and that didn't happen. Uh, the archivists, I believe, tried to remind uh, agencies starting in 2014, 2015, hey, we're, we're coming up on this deadline. We need we need this information so that we can finish the job here. Um, so I, I think the act is it, it's worded very well in many sections. It's a powerful statute. And like Andrew said, the intent was to continue to downgrade and declassify records starting in 92 up until 2017 but it 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 got it got worse and then we can talk about how much more it got worse starting with um with uh, Trump's decision in in 2017 yeah i can i mean you know what, i mean what you're essentially saying to me is that there was a crescendo in 1998 as the uh, ARRB finished its work and there was a lot of renewed interest right at that moment and then for the last 25 years, there's been a neglect again. Jeff, let's let's clarify something here. At the end of the ARBs term in September of 1998, the ARB had made final determinations for each of the records in the records collection. There were no loose strings with regard to any of those records in the collection by the end of September in 1998. Again, final determinations had been made for each of those records. So what does that mean? What that means is that the ARB looked at the record, and for each of the postponed records, they made a recommendation under Section 6 that justified the continuing postponement. They also made recommendations for periodic review for each of those documents. Again, each is a very important word every time we look at, at the records. So there's an identification aid that should exist for every single record in the collection. And that identification aid should include the sec section six justification for postponement and uh, uh, unclassified reason for, for that postponement. And- I'm I'm sorry, Andrew. Can I can I ask a, a question around that though? Because I, uh, you guys know I joke with you. I say uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I sometimes play one on TV. Uh, the question I have is, you're clearly articulating that they have not met the letter of the law, 
there's been a neglect. There's been work that should have been done. There should have been a, a periodic and consistent analysis of these records and, and and a stream of releases that occurred instead of waiting to the end. And for those people who don't want it to happen, it's, you know, it's obviously in their favor. But at the end of the day, if you have to describe a secretive circumstance, the very essence of why you are not disclosing something, and you have to do it in a declassified way, like, uh, what does that get you at the end of the day? Like that they've got this additional information attached to a record and they say, we can't, you know, we can't disclose it because it's a national security interest or something like that. Let me give you an example. Uh, and I want you to put, you know, you can, you can use this or another context if it makes sense, but uh, okay. So if you go to section six, uh, I find this one fascinating. The fourth one says the public disclosure of the assassination record would compromise the existence of an understanding of confidentiality currently requiring protection between a government agent and a cooperating individual or a foreign government. Now, let's say for just I give you a hypothetical. Let's say somebody figured out that uh, Cuba was involved or the Soviet Union was involved and there was a subsequent agreement between the governments that they would not disclose this because of the really the explosive nature of what uh, a disclosure of that nature might bring, you know, even 60 years after, uh, you know, I mean, that's a hypothetical. I, I, I'm not in any way suggesting that that's what happened. Although I think something like that could very well fall into that section I've just read. Uh, so my point in all this is there's been a lot of ministerial record keeping that hasn't gone on associated with this, but what does it get you at the end of the day? If you know, all they're telling you is we're not disclosing it. And here's a declassified, not very interesting or disclosive reason why, but it meets the criteria in the act. Then what do you do? I mean, certainly that would have, uh, allowed them to have avoided some of the litigation potentially that is going on right now, but it wouldn't have gotten any of the researchers, any additional information. So tell me, uh, and I'm being devil's advocate here, right? Because I want them all disclosed, but as much as this is a very powerful document, on the other hand, you know, if you're a corporate guy reading the document, you could probably drive the truck through some of the provisions. So, uh, and I, which is, I think what the government is doing. And again, I'm being very devil's advocate here, mm -hmm. Uh, and I love your discussion around the fact that this should be consistently declassified. You know, it doesn't have to all be done in some big gulp. And maybe that's the answer. So can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, certainly, Jeff. You, you know, the, the, each of the sections under Section 6 use the word currently or demonstrable. You can go back up to Section 1. You know, it 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 references in each of those currently uh, an agent whose identity currently requires pr protection, um, uh, source or method which is currently utilized. Um, so, if you go down to section four that you've referenced, um, I don't think there's any bona fide researcher of the assassination who is going to say that. The public interest in disclosure overrides any national security concern. I, I don't think you're going to find any researcher who feels that no matter what, 
all records should be released, there are justifications. Um, so under Section 4, um, is, is there a record that's going to compromise um, a foreign relation um, or, or a foreign government and a relation between that foreign government? Um, there could absolutely be. But it's up to the, the agency um, to, to provide that reason. And practically what would happen is that they would simply put under the criteria for postponement 6C4. And they might provide one or two sentences um, in an unclassified fashion um, that's for public consumption that would give the justification under 6C4. Um, is it going to provide details? No, it won't. But it'll provide the justification um, for for that withholding of, of a specific record. But you know what? We're not even there. Because on a record-by-record record basis, we can't even tell that that's the case for any of the withheld records. The identification aid system appears to be tossed out. Um, there's really not an adequate accounting of the exact number of records that are being withhold, withheld and the Section 6 basis. And I think what we can do is, is we can look at the Gannon memo and why that's happened. Mark, I don't, I don't know if you want to add anything in to more <clears throat> specifically answer Jeff's question. Yeah, I mean... Uh... If you think of a big picture, uh, Section 6, in my opinion, I wasn't, you know, I'm not privy to the legislative discussions that, that was put in there probably because, uh, you know, to get any law passed through Congress, especially of this nature, it has to be negotiated, discussed with all the players that could be affected by this statute. Because um, you got to, I, I think back to 92, Congress said, you know, enough's enough. Rarest of circumstances could could any record possibly be sensitive at this point? Because you, you need to remember that the government already told the American people or the world in 1964 when the Warren report came out that that one person committed the, the assassination without any Confederates. And that assassin was killed by Jack Ruby without any Confederates. So you fast forward to 92 and they still have these these five reasons why a record uh, could be uh, postponed. And, and my guess is that they had to include section six and uh, five and, and nine all read together to give the, um, the, the, the agencies the right to continue uh, objecting to postponement, but they, they didn't have the unfettered right. Like a Andrew said, that ARRB had an independent uh, review of the documents. They saw everything and they 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 said okay okay we'll give you the benefit of the doubt this this record can be released 10 years later or 15 years later and then by 2017 enough is enough um so you kind of have to reconcile that with the fact that you know that what the american people have been told so the reason why that's in there is um it's it's it but it's it's very clear and it has to be based any any agency for, forget about what the Warren Commission said or the House Select Committee on Assassination Assassination said that the compromise, the way I read the statute is, OK, if you want to keep these records, uh, you know, uh, 
locked away for you know a little bit or in a phased series, they would uh, you would need to you know meet the criteria under Section Six so that by 2017 there would be uh, maybe a handful of records, and you can go back to what the Warren Commission said and all that. But um, we Congress did a great thing here. Uh, they they came up with a statute that that required you know declassification and downgrading of of these records so that by 2017 at the latest the American people would have all the records and and learn the history that's right in the statute the history of the of the JFK assassination and um, you know it it so it begs the question you know why are we still fighting for this because um, you can't reconcile what the government has told the public about. The assassination and also what's going on in 2023, where there's still a um, a classification operation going on. I don't know if I went off the the beaten path there a little bit, but that's that's the um, that's the struggle. Is how, how do you reconcile that? No, I mean, I mean, it makes complete sense. And obviously, I, I'm just I'm asking what I call the the simple and fundamental questions. I don't, you know, it, it it becomes obviously very obfuscated when you get into the details of the legality of it. You know, there's a lot of sausage making when you put together a piece of legislation. And obviously, this piece of legislation is amazing. The fact that it actually got put together in the way it did uh, is remarkable. So we have to be happy about what is there. And hindsight is 2020. If I were criticizing, I am criticizing this piece of legislation as it stands today, because I think there's one very, very fundamental thing missing from it. The fact that this disclosure has to be made is the fact that there's a fundamental underlying conclusion that the government was not totally disclosive, and perhaps in some cases for good reason. We don't know. We just don't know. But the reality is that when you go through the church committee, you go through the Rockefeller Commission, you go through the House Select Committee on Assassinations, you go through the Assassination Records Review Board subsequent to the act, and it's very clear that there are Lots of reasons for assuming that without compelling or having appropriate controls in place to make sure that all these documents are eventually disclosed, it won't happen. And so what's really fundamentally missing in my mind is sort of a a corporate guy looking at it is that they didn't perhaps uh, write in a, a section that said that each agency's inspector general had to actually review the reasons and see them in detail not to be publicly disclosed, but to know that there is enough substance to each one of those uh, holdbacks that they, in fact, meet the provisions of this legislation. And then, obviously, some sanitized version that's uh, acceptable to the inspector general's review as well uh, could be done. And then to avoid the conflict of interest, you could have the inspector general of the United States look at all the agencies and their provisions. Well, um, how, how about this, Jeff? How how about the idea that by September 30th, 1998, the ARRB had made final determinations for each of those records? And in Section 9, it provides essentially uh, an appeal process for the agencies if they disagreed with the ARB's final determinations. Come join us in bonus episodes 142 and 143 as we continue and conclude the live session with Mark Adamczyk and Andrew Eiler. 
two experts on the JFK Records Act.